Well, good morning, friends. Thank you for uh, being here today. Great to be with you all, especially if it's your first time. We really appreciate you uh, coming and checking us out. Hope you had a great weekend thus far. Hope you're spending some time either before or after this service uh, at the ministry fair. Tons of great organizations, groups, nonprofits out there. We'd love for you to sign up to be a part of something this year. Uh, God's doing some cool things in and through the people of this church uh, and in and around this church building. So we'd love to have you sign up and, uh, and be a part of something this calendar year. Got so much to share with you, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, last week, we started a brand new sermon series entitled Up. And if you weren't here, I highly encourage you to go back online, listen to that message, because everything we're going to talk about for the next several months is based off of what we shared and talked about and discussed last Sunday. Uh, but just so we're all on the same page and just so uh, we're all moving in the same direction, here's the main gist. Here's what we chatted about and brought up last week. In Exodus 19, God literally comes down to the top of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And boy, does he know how to make an entrance. I mean, we're talking thunder, lightning, smoke, fire, earthquakes, trumpet blasts. But what's even crazier than what happens to that mountain is the fact that someone is invited on the mountain. Exodus 19.20 is kind of the, the basis for this series. And it says this, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So you following so far? Are you tracking with this? God comes down, and then he invites Moses up. And it was up there on that mountain that Moses, we read, spokes with, spokes, is that even a word? Speaks with God face to face, like a friend speaks to another friend. It's up there on that mountain that Moses sees God's face, hear his voice, even begins to reflect God's glory. It all happens up, up there on the mountain. And here's the beautiful thing. Unlike everybody else in that story, everybody else who had to stay down, who had to stay put, you and I get to go up. You and I have been invited and called, just like Moses, to go up and to be with God. Hebrews 12, James 4, the list goes on and on, but the invite is clear. The call is clear. Go up and be with God. Experience him. Encounter him in a personal way, in a profound way. In fact, going up, if you really think about it, it's why Jesus came. It's why he died Christianity isn't simply about coming to church or reading your Bible or being nice to your neighbors or signing up for nonprofits, although I hope you do all of those things. The essence of Christianity is this intimate communion with your Heavenly Father, a personal connection to the God of the universe, which happens through Christ. That's the point of it all it's to go up. And yet so many of us are so happy and so content staying down. We're just sitting at the base of the mountain. One author I shared, with you, uh, shared this with you last week, it says, we would rather take a selfie with Moses or read a book about others who have gone up on the mountain than go up ourselves. But what a shame that is. That's the point of it all. You see, a lot of churches in West Bowles has fallen into this trap as well. That we've, we've fallen into this belief that, that success for us is when you show up, listen up, sign up, and pay up. That's a great church right there. But maybe, maybe not. Show up, listen up, sign up, and pay up. Guys, I could, I could care less. I want you to go up. I want you to be with him. I want you to spend time with your God Speak with your maker, because everything will be different when you come down. And we're praying that we'll, through this series, we'll help you do just that. We'll help you 
help you go up. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into this second chapter. God, uh, we pray that you will speak to each of us now. We believe that you are alive and well and active in each of our lives. And so now we ask that you will speak to us, God, in a way that each of us will understand. We each have our own language, our own dialect, and we need you to come and, and speak in that tongue to us now. So communicate to us, God. Whisper a word or a paragraph or a book to us, God, right now. Whatever we need to hear, would, would we hear it from you? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's a little cold in here, so we gotta, I got to crank up the volume, all right? Crank up the energy. we got to get going. Preach a little harder than normal. All right, I don't know about you, but um, I want to try to show you this morning how, how this invitation up, it's, it's, it's not just a one-time thing. It's really the point of it all. And I don't know about you. I tend to miss things that are super obvious in life. Something like that ever happened to you where you're like looking for your sunglasses? Like, uh-oh, on top of my head. Or you're looking for your car keys. It's like, where are they? I can't find them anywhere. And the wife's like, oh, they're hanging on your pinky. Right? I mean, it's just like, ah, missing the obvious. I do that all the time. And, and there's a great story out there involving uh, Sherlock Holmes that revolves around this the same dynamic. Uh, Sherlock and Dr. Watson, they're on a camping trip. And after having dinner and enjoying a glass of wine together that night, they, they go inside their tent to take a rest for the evening. Well, some hours later, Holmes awakes and, and nudges his friend. Watson, Watson, look up and tell me what you see. Watson replies, I see millions and millions of stars. What does that tell you, Holmes asked. Watson pondered for a minute. Well, Astronomically, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Horologically, I deduce that it's about a quarter past 3 a.m. Theologically, I can see God is all-powerful and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Sherlock? Holmes was silent for a minute and he says, Someone's stolen our tent. <laughs> you see, missing, missing the obvious, what's right there in front of you, it happens to the best of us. It happens to all of us. It happened to me recently when I was reading through the scripture. I was taking some time and reading some things, and something popped out at me that I'd never seen before, which at first was really exciting. It's like a new truth. But then I started flipping through the Bible and realized, this isn't a new truth. This is everywhere. So I went from excited to frustrated. It's like, how did I miss this for so long? Something like that ever happened to you reading the Bible? It's like, wait, 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 I've never seen that before. And he's like, there it is, and there it is, and it's like I've been reading the Bible with my eyes closed this whole time. Let me show you what I mean, and I want to help you not to miss the obvious. I'm going to bullet through these, these passages, so hang on tight. In Genesis, before the fall of man, we read that God literally walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. In Deuteronomy 21, the armies of God are encouraged with these words. When you go out to fight your enemies and face horses and chariots and an army greater than your own, do not be afraid. The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, he is with you. In Psalm 16, David sings out, I know the Lord is always with me. He's always right beside me. In Psalm 23, he praises God by saying, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. To the thief on the cross who's about to breathe his very last. Luke 23, 43, Jesus says this, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. John 8, 29, 
Jesus tells the disciples, the one who sent me is with me. John 14, 3, he encourages the disciples by saying, when everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you. So you will always be with me. Revelation 3.20, those who are victorious will sit with me on the throne. The revelation of the end of time says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and I heard a loud voice at the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Whew. You with me though for a second? You, with, you, you see the theme? Did you see the theme? I hope I was able to communicate a common word there in all those different passages. With God. From the beginning of the story to the very last page of the story, it's been about one thing and one thing only. Intimate communion. Personal connection. Nearness to God. That's what everything revolves around in this book. It's about you being with God. God. And it shows up everywhere from the, from the name of the tabernacle to the name of the bread in the temple, even from the name of Jesus. I mean, what's one of his names that we celebrate at Christmas time? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. With, 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 with. God wants to be with us or to flip it and put it another way. God wants us to be with him. That's his greatest desire for us. He doesn't want us to simply believe in him or give intellectual consent to him. He doesn't want us just to read about him or talk about him or even just sing to him. He wants to literally be with us and us with him. See, if God were an impersonal force, some disengaged cosmic deity, this wouldn't be true. If he was a nebulous energy or just a great watchmaker in the sky who wound it up, set it on a table, and just let it run its course, if that's who he was, then this wouldn't be the case for us. But he's not like that. He's highly relational. He is very personal. He wants to be close. He wants to be connected. He wants to know you and be known by you. And even after sin came in and separated us, God has done everything he can to reunite us. Why? It's all about with. It's all about being with him. That's the point and the hope and the goal of it all is being with him. And a lot of Christians, I think, I was going to say Christians, that's interesting, crutch and Christian makes a crutchin. Anyway, sorry. A lot of Christians have this crutch. They're, they're struggling in their faith. They're frustrated with God. They're kind of giving up on church because they're doing everything except being with God. I mean, think about this. Most Christians want things from God. I do this and you do that. Most Christians are working hard for God. A lot of Christians are trying hard to honor or obey God, but how many Christians are actually living with God? Oh, it's such a drastic difference. Those are tiny little words, but they make all the difference in the world. So that's why we go up. We go up on the mountain in a special place, a special time. This could be in your car. This could be on the jog in the morning as you're laying your head down on the pillow. You go up with God so you can be with him. Now that sounds pretty obvious, don't you think? You go up on the mountain with God to be with God. Okay, that makes sense. But it's not something that a vast majority of us actually do or long for. It's not something that a lot of us marvel at. 
Just imagine this for a second. Imagine if, if Peyton Manning like hand wrote a note to you saying, I want you to come and have lunch to, with me tomorrow at the stadium. Uh, okay. Or imagine your, your own superstar that you have in your mind, some celebrity, maybe it's Nelson Mandela, Bill Gates, a former president of some sort. They say, I want you, you personally, you physically to be with me. I want you with me. I mean, wouldn't we get pretty jazzed and excited about that? I mean, I think that we would, but we rarely marvel at the fact that the God of the heavens and the earth, the one who made it all, who holds it all, who sustains it all, who saves it all, who holds it all together, that God, we really marvel that he has invited you in to be with him. We really rejoice at the fact that God has asked for you to come on up here. Don't you love that? God has. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth, church. For, for a long time, that wasn't the case. That wasn't possible. That wasn't available. For a long time, God was really far away. I want to try to depict this for you this morning, and you gotta, you got to play with me here a little bit, all right? you gotta, you got to humor me. Um, let, let's act for a few minutes. Let's, let's believe and imagine for a few minutes that this church building right now, the one we're sitting in, is just like the temple back in the Old Testament. Okay, or just like the temple uh, back even in the first century. You with me? So we're no longer at West Falls Community Church. We're now in the temple in Jerusalem. Everybody there? All right. You guys have a lot, lot less hair than you should, I think, if we're in the temple. Anyway, beards, no shave. Anyway, sorry. Inside stupid preacher joke. All right. Um, so we're, we're in the temple now. Okay, this is cool. So we're in the temple. If, if this were the temple, if this were the temple, then back here, this space right here, where this glorious window is and where the staircase is, this would be known as the most holy place. This place inside the temple would be a special room where God's presence would literally dwell. It would be right here in this space where, where God would come down just like he did on top of the mountain. His presence, his glory, his name would be right here in this space. Well, guess what? Yeah, this is off limits, way off limits. We're not allowed in this space. That space would be totally blocked off by a gigantic curtain just like that. I mean, literally, the curtain in the Old Testament is described as being 30 feet tall, 60 feet wide, and four inches thick. And that's the space that separated you from the most holy place. And only one person could cross through that curtain. The high priest, kind of the top dog of the religious world at the time, only he could enter into that room through that curtain. And he could only do it one time a year. He could only do it on a day called the Day of Atonement. And to go through that curtain, he had to go through all these crazy ritual cleansings. He had to make sacrifices for himself and his own sins. He had to make sacrifices for the sins of the people. He had to change his clothes. He had to burn incense. He had to lie prostrate. It was crazy what he had to do. One time a year, day of atonement, high priest, only he can enter into that. You with me? So now on the other side of this curtain, the space that I'm standing now, this would be called the holy place. So that's the most holy place. This is the holy place. And it's still nice here. I mean, it's just still pretty close. Well, guess what? Just like that room, we're not allowed up here. There would be another huge barrier blocking us from even entering the holy place. Only a group of about five to ten priests would be able to enter into the holy place. And they'd only be able to do that on special occasions throughout the year as well. Now, it was blocked off by these huge double doors. We don't have those, so I asked John to drop another curtain down. So we've got the most holy place, can't go in there. We've got the holy place, only a certain group of priests can go in there. So now you and I, we're standing in something called the inner court. And it's nice in here, I like it. I really like those soundboards over there, those are really pretty. 
Sorry, another inside joke. I just fixed those last week. All right. Um, so we're in the inner court, and it sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Like inner court, like inner circle. Uh-huh, chum chum. Yeah, well, well only, only priests are allowed in here, only those who are Levites, only those who can trace their lineage all the way back to a man named Aaron. That's who can be in this room. That doesn't describe me. So I, I, can't, I can't be in here. So I can't be in the most holy place. I can't be in the holy place. I can't be in the inner court. So I guess I, I got to go outside. So follow me. We'll do it on the screen here. So now, now I'm outside of the inner circle, and I'm out, I'm out in the outer court. And this is a nice space. I mean, there's some good-looking people out here. But, you know, the outer court, I'm still not even allowed here because only Jews are allowed in this space. Only direct descendants of Abraham, those who can trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham himself, only they are allowed in the outer court. So you and I, we don't got to go home, but we got to get out of here. So let's go over here. This is where we belong, literally. This is the space that we're allowed to be outside. Outside, you see, I can't go into the outer court because that's where Jews go. I can't go in the inner court because that's where Levites go. I can't go to the holy place. That's where the priests go. And I can't go to the most holy place because that's where the high priest goes. You and me, we, we stand outside. And there's something very symbolic and very real about that. This is how far away we are from God. On our own, this is how far. There are barriers and blockades at room after room. We are so distant, so separated, so alienated from God. And we literally are standing outside. It's symbolic, it's relational, it's spiritual. This is, this is where we belong. This is how far away from God we exist. But God's heart, and we read this in all those different passages, right? He wants to be with us. And yet he's in there and I'm out here. So, so what do I do about that? We want to be together. He wants to be with me and me with him. So what do we do? Jesus, that's what makes Jesus and the cross so important. I, I got to come back in. I got to read you something. Check this out. All right, you guys, you guys are going to freak now at this passage. It's a pretty nice day out there too, luckily. If it was snowing, that would have been a whole different experience. But now this passage in Hebrews, this is going to make so much more sense. And after I read it, I seriously want you to applaud because there is something just crazy about what God says in this Hebrews passage. Are you ready? Hebrews 10. Listen to these words. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter, boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the very presence of God with sincere hearts, trusting him. Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with his blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with water. You with me there? I mean, just give a little shout of praise to God for that one, man. If you just start to fathom what he's saying right there, you get to come inside. I mean, staying out in the lobby would have been okay with me. But God wants you so much closer than that. And so he says, no, 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 not the outer court. Come on in to the inner court. And more more than coming into the inner court, I want you to break through and I want you to enter into the holy place. Thomas, and more than that, my blood is so powerful, Jesus says, that I'm going to make a way for you to break through this barrier and enter into literally the most holy place. I get to be with him. I get to be with God now, 
right up close and personal with him. Nothing is holding me back. You with me? All those barriers, all those rooms, all those obstacles, none of them are in your way anymore. They've all been removed through the blood of Jesus. Sin, death, imperfection, inadequacy, stupidity, regrets, failure, fear, your debt, whatever it is, it's all been wiped out, cleansed, and destroyed through the cross. Nothing is holding you back from being with your God. And you've got to understand this. It's not as if God has changed his standards. He is just as holy, just as majestic, just as powerful, just as big and massive and mighty as he used to be. So he hasn't changed his standards. He hasn't dumbed himself down to meet with you. He hasn't changed his standards. He's changed your status. You want a status update? Oh, I've got one for you. You want a status update? When you profess Jesus as Lord, you are no longer a sinner or a slave to sin. You are a saint. You are no longer marred by imperfection. You are perfected forever. You are no longer pushed out. You are drawn in. You are no longer abandoned. You are adopted. You're no longer an object of wrath. You're an object of his great affection. Post that update. That's your status because of the blood of Jesus. When you say, I believe in that, I believe he died, I believe he was raised again, and I want his blood to cover me. When you say that, then your status drastically changed, and you go from being some hobo out in the, in the parking lot to the high priest in the most holy place. You go from being a stranger, an alien, an enemy, to speaking with God face to face as one speaks to a friend. You with me? That's pretty exciting. All because of Jesus. All because of what he did on the cross. See, you weren't allowed to be with God before. He's so pure. He's so glorious. He's so good that, that he's an all-consuming fire, the scripture says, right? So if you stand in his presence and you're not just like him, he will consume you. He will destroy whatever is not just like him. And so you couldn't stand in his presence before because you'd be consumed. But now, because of Jesus, you have been made just like the high priest. You can enter into that room anytime you want, and you will not be consumed. You will be enlivened. You will be blessed. You will be spoken with by God himself. God's holiness will no longer destroy you. It will bless you. It will no longer bring about your destruction. It will bring about your redemption. And I think those back in the Old Testament, if anybody was like hearing now this great cloud of witnesses, if they could hear us say that, they'd be like, What? You get, to, you get to go in there? For years, we had to stand outside in the cold. For years, we were separated from him. For years, we couldn't go in. But we had to walk to church for 10 miles both ways, uphill both ways, in the snow. Right, one of those stories. You have it so easy, they would say. And in response is like, yeah. Yeah, we do. I wouldn't say we have it so easy. I'd say we have it so good. You don't have to stand outside anymore. Come in. Come in beyond the curtain into the most holy place. God wants us to be with him. So as we talked about last week, and even this week, we're invited into his presence. We're invited to see his face. We're invited to carve time out and to prepare ourselves to meet with him and to, and to hear him and see him and reflect him. That's an invitation. That's an opportunity for all of us. But not many of us take it. Not many of us go up not many of us pass through. Not many of us go in. Why not? Why don't a whole lot of us spend much time with God? 
Why don't we draw near? Why don't we go up? Let me suggest three things as we close this morning, and we'll call it a day. There are three reasons why I think uh, being with God is so hard for so many of us. These are the three. Number one is baggage. Now, when I say baggage, I'm not talking about that new luggage you got for Christmas. Although, lucky you. It was on my list. I didn't get it. Anyway, I'm talking about the negative things in your life that have happened to you that the course of your life that you haven't been able to get over or get past or get through. There are different types of baggage in our life, isn't there? There's the physical baggage, there's emotional baggage, there's spiritual baggage. But the type of baggage I'm talking about this morning is relational baggage. In one way or another, we are all relationally stunted, relationally scarred, because bad relationships and broken relationships, they are a part of every single one of our equations. They've been a part of every single one of our lives. And those relationships taint and hinder us from developing a relationship with the Lord. Because you see, there isn't a single relationship on this side of heaven that describes the one who lives in heaven. There's not a single relationship on earth that adequately depicts and describes who God is and how much he loves you. Which means then that all the relationships discount or discredit or even do disservice to God. Let me, let me describe it to you in this way. God is described as a father, which is great if you have a good father. But what if you don't? A good father is one thing, but how about an abusive father or a deadbeat father or a distant father or a disinterested father? I mean, even the best father can't possibly prove to you or show you who God is. So how about the worst father? You want me to spend time with my father? No thanks. Or how about this? God is also described as our spouse, the lover of our souls. But what if we're divorced? What if our spouse left us or cheated on us or abandoned us? What if we're alone or single? I mean, even the best husband or wife couldn't adequately describe who God is. What about a mediocre husband or wife? What about a bad husband or wife? What about no husband or wife? So you want me to spend time with my beloved? No thanks. And I could go on and on and on. Bad relationships, in whatever form they have taken in your life, have probably kept you from developing a relationship with God in one way or another. Because in this world, no one always forgives. No one loves me unconditionally. No one constantly desires to be with me. I mean, no one offers grace every time I mess up. No one knows my worst and still wants to be around me. No one. Years ago in Albuquerque, we got snowed in, this huge snowstorm, and uh, Albuquerque kind of shut down. They don't know what to do with it. They're like, ah, this guy is falling. Denver people are like, school's on, get to work, let's move it, people, move, move, move. Anyway, Albuquerque, we're snowed in, tons of snow, probably two or three feet, I kid you not. The city shuts down for days. After three or four days, Becca's like, you got to get out of here. I need some time away from you. Like, what, honey, I haven't showered in four days, just been playing video games, what's the problem, right? It's like... But see, even the one who loves me probably the most on this earth cannot love me as much as God loves me. You see, so you see what I'm going here? No one compares to God, so we compare him to others. And then that kind of taints our understanding of who he is. Matt Chandler put it in earthly terms, and I love what he said. When it comes to God, he's always the one driving, always the one buying the meal. 
He's always the one who starts the conversation. He's always the one who sets up date night. He's always the one who's romancing you. He's always the one who cleans up the house. He's always the one who makes sure the yard is done. He's always the one who makes sure the dog is fed. He's always the one that goes out into the cold and warms up the car. He's always the one who picks up the kids and helps with the homework and plans with the trips. He's always the one. He's always the one. He's always the one. That's God. And there's no one like that on the earth. There's just not. See, our relationships are based on reciprocity, aren't they? I do this for you, you do that for me. You hurt me, I hurt you. You disappoint me, I avoid you. It's just kind of how it works. And so we assume that because it's how it works here, that's how it works there. That's called relational baggage. And you are allowing how others have disappointed you or hurt you over the years to stop you from developing a relationship with the Father. And you have to stop doing that because he's not like that. Psalm 71, 19 your righteousness, O God, reaches to the highest heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? And the church says, no one. No one compares to you. So I'm going to stop comparing you to others and let you be who you are and you alone. You with me? So I'm sorry, your dad or your former pastor or your ex-wife or your boss was the way they were. God's not like them. He's not like them. So stop comparing him and stop allowing those relationships to hinder your relationship with him. Because only when you have a relationship with him will you be able to make sense of all the other relationships down here. It's a whole other series, though. We'll talk about it later. All right. Second reason we don't go up is the barriers that we face. So first is baggage, which we all carry, but the second is the barriers that we all face. It's, it's kind of like we, we live in, in the Old Testament times and that when we try to get close to God, all these different barriers and blockades and obstacles kind of stand in our way. Isn't it crazy how that works? It's not curtains or doors or, or whatever, but there's still so many things that, that get in the way from like a maxed out schedule to screaming kids to the ringing, beeping, vibrating phone in your pocket, to countless emails from demands on your time to illnesses in your body. There are so many things that try to stop you from being with God. I remember staying up late one night to spend some time with the Lord, and I wanted to pray, and I wanted to read the Bible a little bit, and I wanted to sit in silence for a while. Everybody else had gone to bed. I was like, yeah, it's finally me and the Lord, some time together. And then the dog throws up. Like all over his bed and all over our carpet. Like, are you serious right now? So like, you know, clean it up. Like, like one of those, right? It's like put it in the trash can. And then the trash bag breaks. And then, and then you know where this story goes because you've had it happen in your own life, have you not? The details are probably different. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. I'd planned on being with the Lord, spending some time with him, listening to his voice, reading his word, and then fill in the blank. Why does that always happen? Well, it's not coincidental. It's not accidental. There is one who will stop at nothing to stop you from being with God. You have a very real enemy who knows that time in his presence changes everything. So he will stop you from being in his presence. There's a reason your quiet time is the most chaotic time of the day. There's a reason when you sit to pray, your mind is just wandering and wondering about who knows what. There's a reason when you start to read the word, a ton of distractions come up in your life. I mean, you think, you honestly think it's hard to get your family up and dressed and here to church every Sunday? Yes, pastor, it is. Start trying to carve out time to be with the Lord. 
and you will experience obstacles like you have never experienced before. Like, are you, I was just about to pray. You called me. It's been six years since I've talked to you. Who is this? Why is my email blowing up? Why all of a sudden is my Facebook account popular? Like, what the heck is going on? Barrier, 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 barrier. Because there is one who wants to stop you from going back there. Because again, once you go up, well, you're forever changed once you come down. So there's baggage we've got to get rid of. There's barriers we've got to get through. And there's boredom that we've got to get over. Boredom is the last one. We'll call it a morning. The last thing that keeps us from spending time with God is boredom. And let's be honest, church. Most of us don't have a clue what to do when we're with God. And the options, they just don't seem all that exciting. So I pray for a few minutes, and then I read some random passage for a few minutes, and I kind of sit there awkwardly for a few minutes, and then it's like, God, we cool here? We good? All right, sweet, see ya, right? That's kind of how it, how it looks, how it goes. We, we, we allow a few bad experiences or a few awkward moments in quiet time or in study or a few times where we didn't get anything out of it. We allow that to then stop us from going ever again into his presence. And so I'm excited for the next couple of weeks to be talking about what do you do when you go up there? You've got to come back the next couple of weeks because boredom, boredom, no, 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 no. There are so many things you get to do up there. There are so many things you have to do up there. You can't be bored. You can't allow boredom to stop you. There's not enough time in the day to do all that needs to be done up on the mountain with the Lord. And so we've got to come back and talk about how to overcome this boredom. You with me? All right, I'm going to ask him to come on back up this morning and, and close us out. I'm going to pray for us this morning as we close. And I want, to, I want us to personalize this and spend a few minutes. We've got about three or four minutes here. And I want to spend it in, in, some, in some very directed prayer time. The invitation has been given to you to come on up. Come up and be with me, the Lord says. But I think some of us have probably said, no, I'm good here. We've let baggage, we've let barriers, and we've let boredom stop us. And so I just want to walk us through a prayer time right now. And I want you to go up right now. Be with him right now in this space. Go up. Go up and talk with him and see him and hear from him. Right now in this moment, I'm going to leave you in that time. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. God, you are an amazing God. And I imagine that the writer of Hebrews, his hand was shaking. And he had to tell all of his friends what he was writing about when he penned those words that we don't have to stand outside any longer, but we get to come in. We get to come through every single barrier that's ever stood between us and you, God. And we thank you for that. We thank you there's no longer doors or obstacles or curtains stopping us, God. Nothing is stopping us. We get to be with you in your very presence whenever we want, however often we want. God, it's right there for the taking. And I pray that this church desires that so deep in their heart, God. They desire to be with you. And in these next moments, God, we say we're sorry. We're sorry for letting things stop us from being with you. We're so silly. There's a story in the scripture that when someone finds you, God, they sell everything they have because they realize the great prize that they have in you. Nothing else matters. And yet for us, God, we let, we let everything else kind of direct our path and divert us from being with you. And so now we pray against relational baggage. Even in this moment, I want you to personalize the broken relationships in your life. Call those people out or those relationships out by name. Is it your dad? Is it a stepdad? Is it an ex? 
Is it a friend? Is it a pastor? Is it a teacher? Anyone who has hurt you or betrayed you, just lift that up to him right now. God, in these moments, we we want to believe that you are not like that. You are not like them. And even good spouses and good dads and, and good pastors, God, you're not even like them. You are so much better than they are. And so we ask that the relational baggage that we carry, it wouldn't stop us from coming to you anymore. You are a good, good father. You are the lover of our souls. And we want our hearts to long to be with you. Help us to no longer allow bad relationships here to affect our relationship with you up there. We pray against baggage. Help us to forgive. Help us to forget, God. Help us to move beyond the bad relationships we've had and help us to move closer into relationship with you. And Father, in this moment, we pray against the barriers that are just everywhere in our life, God. It seems like when we want to be with you, there are so many things that are just thrown on our plate and thrown in the way. And so now we lift those things up to you. Would you personalize these as well? Is it your family? Is it your schedule? Is it sports? Is it social media? Is it your wardrobe? Is it your stuff? Is it fear? Is it regret? What's stopping you? What's diverting your attention from him? Is it homework? Is it work, work? What's a barrier right now for you? Lift it up to him. God, we ask that you would help us to move through and, and to break through these barriers, God, whatever they are in our life, and to realize, God, that when you invite us in, there is someone else who wants to keep us out. And so help us, even this week, God, to press on, to press forward, to just continually press into you, Father, knowing that, that the, the goal is so worth it, so worth the struggle. But we ask that you would help us to overcome the barriers, even remove them from our life, God. Make it easier for us to find you, to see you, and to hear from you this week. Make it Make it easier, God. Help those barriers to not be as massive as they have been for many of us. And this morning, God, we close by asking you to help us overcome the boredom that many of us experience. Time with you sounds lame. It sounds tame. It sounds like a waste of time. It sounds like we're going to sit there like idiots and not have a clue what to say or what to do. But Father, would you remove that from us even now? And as we move into this next section of the series, would you help us to realize boredom has no part in this relationship, Father? You have so many things to say to us. We have so many things to do and to give to you. Oh, man, our time up is so robust. It's so full. It's so exciting, Father. It's so restful. So help us not to, not to allow boredom to come in and stop us from being with you baggage, barriers, and boredom. They have kept us from going up. And so this morning, we literally just wrap them up. We tie them up, God. We put them in a, in a, in a symbolic lock, if we will, or case or bag or whatever it is, and we just hand them over to you. We say, no more of these, God. No more of these things stopping us from being with you. We want to be with you. We want to be up there with you. So I pray this week, many in this room experience more and more of you. It may spend more and more time with you more and more time up on the mountain next to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you, church, so much for being here today. Have an amazing week. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. We can bless a family need and stop by the ministry fair. Sign up for something new. Be strong and courageous, church. God bless you guys.